There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So you know it works in giving you a boner. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. Besides from me reading this, it's made in the U.S. of A. America. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, it's cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. You can visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free. When you use our special promo code armchair, just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's bluechew, B-L-U-E, chew.com, promo code armchair, A-R-M-C-H-A-I-R, to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we'd like to thank them for sponsoring this train wreck of a podcast. Welcome, everybody, to a Friday edition of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Uh, this is a special edition where we're talking to our friend, Kat Terrell, of The Athletic. She has come on back from ESPN uh, to cover the Saints and be closer to her family. I knew, Kat, when you said you were leaving ESPN, I was like, she's either won the Powerball and is retiring to an island somewhere, or she's coming back to New Orleans. There is no other explanation and I was super excited when you announced you're coming back because you were one of the really great writers the Saints had uh and it's great to have you back at The Athletic well thanks I'm happy to be back I'd I'd still like to win Powerball but I think I'd be pretty bored (laughs) sitting on an island you know I have to uh be around to ask uh, Sean Payton annoying questions to entertain myself but uh no I'm really happy The Athletic's been great um if you haven't checked it out yet it's at theathletic.com uh i got gotta plug my my new employer here but um no super excited to be back it's been a great two months uh obnoxious heat aside <laughs> uh still getting used to this weather but now it's been good. no once you but once Kat, you leave well, new I was orleans gonna ask real quick cat cat though hold on we uh i have to ask this question because you you were kind of when you were covering the saints you were in the perils of the the seven and nine in perpetuity then you go to cincinnati and we all know how that goes so how does it feel to actually cover a team that's winning well first of all i always tell this story because it's really funny um there was this running joke that i was i cursed all these teams which i did (laughs) not obviously as you can see by the records this year but usually Marvin Lewis opened his press conference once and he looks around the room and he goes, he goes, wow, you know, we used to go to the playoffs every year and nothing in this room changed except one thing. <laughs> you can't blame me that you stopped making playoff runs. Uh, but it's actually, it's, it's really awesome because I've actually only covered one good team ever, unless you count LSU 2010. Uh, they were pretty good. So it's just, it just makes a difference because everyone's more relaxed. 
and happy and you get to do these big features and which is a lot harder, you know, when they're not winning. But I always say I'd either like to cover a really bad team because they're storylines or obviously a really good team because the hardest team to cover is the eight and eight, seven and nine, which seems to be my specialty. <laughs> <laughs> the seven. Is it, yeah, because there's only because especially the Saints, like, right, because it was a cycle of start bad, get to 500, collapse, start bad, get to 500, collapse. Um, but you talked about your feature, and one of the things you did back when they were struggling in 7-9, you did the Junior Galette feature, but this week, or let, you did the Demario Davis feature, which I found amazingly enlightening, because one of the questions I asked was, how does a guy that the Saints signed before 2018 become the leader of the defense, and then the leader of the team when Drew Brees is out, that fast and I read your feature and I was like there you go that's why what in in covering the in doing the feature what was the thing that stuck out to you that really makes guys just gravitate towards him I think guys want to see consistency in someone they trust and it's hard to follow someone when they say they're going to do something and they don't do it I mean that goes all the way up to the coaching staff just in general but DeMario is one of those guys where he gets an idea, he says he's going to do it, and he goes out and, and does it. I don't think there's really much thinking involved into it. I don't think he goes back and forth. I think when he paid Jose Bayo's bail, I think he and Josh Norman heard about it and just decided, all right, this is what we're going to do. And it's really hard not to gravitate towards a guy like that. And you, All you have to do is watch that pregame huddle, and you can tell all the guys around him are, are really listening and, and buying in. And plus, it doesn't hurt that he's playing really well. And the Saints haven't had many good linebacks over the years. But, I mean, he puts his money where his mouth is, both on the field and off the field. So it's kind of impossible not to like the guy and to listen to what he says when he speaks. Does it surprise you a little bit, though, Kat? I mean, you look at this team, and when Breeze, stepped, when Breeze had the injury, obviously someone has to step up there. And, and you look at just time to task. Teron Armstead is a veteran that's been on the team for a long time, a well-liked guy that's outspoken. Cam Jordan qualifies as that same profile as well. And then, you know, I mean, you've got some of the playmakers that are a little bit younger in Lattimore and Michael Thomas, maybe even Teddy Bridgewater because he's the quarterback. I mean, you would look at all those guys and say, those are viable candidates to maybe step up in a leadership role with Breeze out. But at least from the outside looking in, and I don't, cover the team. I don't, I don't go to the practices and I don't interview these players every day, but to me, it really feels like DeMario Davis is the face of the franchise, at least while Breeze is out. And do you get that sense inside the locker room? Is that a fair statement? And does that surprise you compared to all these other guys I just mentioned? Um, it, it's hard to say because every position group really has their own de facto leader. Like I, I would never imagine Toronto Armstead, like standing in the middle of the huddle leading that pregame chant. And I honestly wouldn't really imagine Bridgewater doing it either just because everyone leads in different ways. So, I mean, he's definitely seems to be the leader of the defense, but everyone, I think a lot of people look to Cam too. Cam just has a different personality. He's a more playful guy. I think DeMario, from what I've heard from coaches, just in meeting rooms, you know, he's kind of no nonsense, even though in a locker room, you know, people want to be around him just like they want to be around Cam. But I, I think it really just is, is kind of a position group thing, but yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know who would be the leader of the offense. I think people 
you look at Bridgewater and you think automatically because he's a quarterback, you'd assume that. But since he hasn't been there as long, I don't really know. So, I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe it is DeMario right now. But I think the good thing is that these this team does have a lot of good character guys who have leadership ability. And that wasn't always the case in the past. Kat, me and Andrew were talking earlier this week about, you know, the defense is sort of gone to a level that we didn't expect it to go to. And Andrew was saying, you know, it's sort of that everything has gone right for the defense, right? Davenport, they traded the two number ones for him, but he's becoming a he's becoming showing signs of being a dominant pass rusher. Onyemata has developed into a really, really good player. Sheldon Rankins is kind of ahead of schedule and, and already back from the Achilles. And they're, they're healthy in, the, in, in all over the place. And it's sort of everything has fallen into place. Do you sense a different confidence about this defense? Not necessarily from the players themselves, but in the coaching staff that this defense is is different and is on a level that we've clearly never had before. I do because I think I was asking other writers question but I think it, it's the most complete defense the Saints have had in many many years I mean of course I didn't see the last three years as much and a lot of the players are the, the same I guess but I really think when you look all over the defense even the secondary who you know have had their issues and struggled a little bit to start the season that they've really come together too and Lattimore is playing exactly how you want envisioned him to be playing and just the other guys you mentioned they're all stepping up so I think it kind of trickles over to the other side and makes everyone more relaxed because they know that this defense can take care of this team if the offense is struggling. It's interesting interviewing Peyton a couple days a week. You can tell when he knows he has a good team. And after that Jaguars game, he was really insightful in the press conference. He came to the locker room and was making jokes. He obviously wasn't tense, and the players weren't either. And I think that's when you know – all right, we know on all sides we have a good team, good enough that the most important player on our team can go down and we're still going to be okay. I mean, to me, that's kind of amazing because who would have thought that when, when Breeze went down? I think we all thought, best case scenario, they lose two games in this period and there's a chance they could go undefeated until he gets back. Kat, uh, it's interesting that you say that because I, I, I heard, overheard Sean Payton at one point mention the offense and you know being asked about, yeah, I, I thought this was all kind of by design to be ball control, to not take shots down the field, to play it very safe, not turn the ball over, try not to take sacks. And I think a lot of Saints fans feel like Bridgewater is taking a lot of sacks, but he's at, at, at a career low in terms of versus what, what, what happened in Minnesota versus now he's, t- he's taking less sacks than ever. So I'm curious though, I, Sean Payton's comments kind of maybe changed my opinion a little bit because I heard him say, we can't continue like this, or it's going to come back to bite us. I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something like, this is going to come back to bite us. If we down the road, if we face a stronger team, we're going to need more out of the offense. And he kind of sounded a little displeased, actually, by the performance of the offense. Am I misreading that? Or does he feel like this unit needs to perform at a higher level? Well, yeah, I mean, he definitely wasn't happy. But I think when you talk about the conservative game plan, I think that changes week to week based on the opponent. I, I think 
they did tell him we're going to do shorter passes and try to be more of a ball control team against better defenses because, I mean, against the Bucks who have a bad defense, they didn't mind letting him air it out. But, of course, you look at the offensive performance against the Jaguars and no, they can't continue like that. But on the other side, if Breeze does stay on the timeline and come back against the Falcons, maybe they lose to Chicago, even though they don't have a very great, a very good offense. But Arizona, I mean, they should be able to beat that team. So really, it might not end up mattering that much. If, if Breeze comes back and if he's playing at the level, he can't play to. I think there are a lot of questions, but they're in a very good spot right now. But you know Peyton. I mean, he's a coach. He's never going to be happy when he sees an offensive performance like that. But overall, he's happy that his team was able to overcome it. Do you think Batavius Murray, his performance in Jacksonville, sort of gained a trust with Peyton? And do you think he's going to get more touches going forward, even if Kamara can go against Chicago or Continue, tries to play through these sort of nicks that he has. Are we going to see more of Latavius Murray now, you think? Honestly, I'd like to see it happen in more than one game to make that assessment because he didn't really show it in training camp either, but maybe it is a step forward. I think, yes, if Kamara still, still needs, like if he's still a little hindered, if he's fully healthy, I think it would probably still be about what it was. However, I'm interested to see practice this week and just if they decide to rest Kamara because I think it'd probably be the smartest thing to do if he's dealing with a knee and an ankle. Really, you should probably just try to rest him to the bye if you can at all, if you feel like you can afford to. I think they kind of have a little bit of wiggle room. The Panthers are kind of breathing down their neck, but they are in a good spot. Kev, the news just uh, broke yesterday that uh, P.J. Williams is suspended for two games. And we, we knew this had a chance of coming in the offseason. I mean, frankly, the whole DUI situation was, a, I think, a big reason why the Saints were able to re-sign him and why his market kind of collapsed in the offseason um, because of this looming suspension. And maybe it was a hint to other teams that there was some off-the-field stuff. Um, so anyway, that this suspension finally comes. It's two games. And, you know, anytime there's big Saints news, I always get a flood of texts from from buddies and guys that are curious about stuff. And uh, a lot of people texted me the question, is Patrick Robinson ready to step up? And that that surprised me. Um, But I guess it makes sense because your average fan doesn't, you know, they think of Chauncey Gardner-Johnson as a safety. And so they're not thinking of it logically in terms of he's the next man up. But from what we've seen on the depth chart and what the Saints do on the field, to me, it's clear that this role is going to become Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's. And you know, Patrick Robinson may see some snaps in, in dime packages, but I'm curious, I guess a two-part question here, do you think my assessment's correct that the rookie is the one that's going to get the, the lion's share of this role for the next two weeks? And if so, how ready do you think he is for this? I think it would make the most sense. I think Patrick Robinson kind of showed in training camp, he's really just kind of a guy. He's just there. I mean, to be fair to him, they were trying to play him outside a lot, and he's he should not be playing outside. But 
still, I mean, I actually thought in training camp they were going to cut him, but maybe the contract or maybe just them having the familiarity with him made them keep him. But I mean, you know, his role, as you can see from the last games have been, has been so reduced. I think it would just make sense to go to, with the young guy. I mean, you, you want to see what he can do. I think he showed something in training camp. It, I just think at this point, unless you think Patrick Robinson is that much better, really, why not try to see what you've got? I mean, that kind of sounds weird because it's not like they're in a position where they can just afford to lose games, but you got to think about this going forward sometimes. I, I don't know if y'all agree, but I think, I mean, at least try him for a game and see if he's ready. If he's not, you do have Patrick Robinson to fall back on, but... It wouldn't make sense to me, but we'll see. Maybe they just go with a familiar guy. Yeah. Um, Kat, before we get to uh, – I want to talk about your time in Cincinnati because Saints fans are talking about trading for Eifert or A.J. Green. But before we get to that, everybody, go to mybookie.ag, use the code SHARE, and you get a 100% sign-up bonus if you're a gambling degenerate like me. You're gambling on football all year. You need to go to the safest online gambling site. That's mybookie.ag. Use the code SHARE and get a 100% sign-up bonus. My bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Um, Kat, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on too is, you know, as, as Saints fans, like we talked about the offense earlier, you know, they're struggling. And, and, and Andrew mentioned that Sean Payton said this can't continue. The trade deadline's rapidly approaching. And as we saw yesterday with the Rams making a, uh, two moves, you know, they traded Marcus Peters and, and they, they got Jalen Ramsey. So teams clearly are more active than they've ever been. But that said, I look at Cincinnati and they are a totally different animal with Mike Brown and how they run their team. And even though the Saints might want A.J. Green, might want Tyler Eifert, how does Cincinnati, what's their history of doing deals during the year and how Mike Brown sort of does that? And is it, in your mind, likely, unlikely that Cincinnati is going to deal with the Saints or anybody else? So... They almost never make midseason trades. There was the exception with the Carson Palmer stuff a few years ago, but that was a really unique situation. They just it's it's like they're being dragged into the twenty first century very begrudgingly. They have started to change a little bit. But when you look at their team, this is kind of uncharted territory. They haven't been this bad since the nineties. So I think they need to to trade some of these assets. The problem is they tied themselves to a lot of now aging guys who are talented but might be on the wrong side of 30. Eifert is an interesting one because I know the Saints have had interest in him before. The injury history kind of scared them off. But I know they have to be doing their due diligence on him. The only pr problem is, in my mind, I haven't yet had a chance to go back and look at the film, and I kind of want to. He hasn't really done much this year. And some people say, well, that's because they just don't know how to use them. And other people think, well, maybe all the injuries have kept up with or have finally caught up with him. So I'm wondering if he's the same Tyler Eifert. But that would be the guy that I think the Saints would be most likely to target. When he's healthy, he's a really good pass catching tight end. He caught 13 touchdowns when he was kind of at his peak. His salary is almost non-existent, and they probably, since his contract is expiring, would be able to get him for a good price. A.J. Green, I mean, that's just not going to happen. Like I said, the Bengals are very reluctant to make these type of trades. They're, they probably would not get rid of A.J. I think 
maybe 40, 60, they part with any of their other guys. But hey, if they're insistent on building on the building for the future, they have to do it. They kind of have to get over that. Kat, you mentioned uh, just one question I have about the locker room. Um, you know, last time you were covering the Saints, it was a mess in there. Um, and there, there was a concerted effort to get rid of a lot of people um, that kind of muddied the water, so to speak. And I think the Saints really kind of had an overhaul in terms of, OK, what kind of people, what kind of personalities do we want in this locker room? Um, do you sense, and, and I, I'm a firm believer that like the worst of personalities can work as long as the team is winning. Um, so I'm curious and, and I, I, but this team has had a lot of success over the last few years. And so I, I believe that you, know, we, this locker room hasn't really been tested, uh, other than the breeze injury, uh, which was traumatic. Uh, we, there hasn't been a lot of finger pointing because the team has been winning. So do you see a substantial difference in the characters and the personalities in the locker room from when you last covered the team? Um, or do you see some signs that, hey, as long as they're winning, it's fine, but there could be some guys that are problems down the road? Okay, I'll give a good – maybe not a – I'll give an example from a few years back. They're used – Players always care about their stats. I mean, I know they say they don't, but to some extent they do. Or they they love to get, you know, their defensive players. I mean, they love to get their picks and turnovers and whatnot. But there's a difference in how you go about it. I know there were years where there would be players on the defensive side of the ball that were, like, obsessed with their pro football-focused stats and got mad whenever pro football folks would attribute an error to them and they would say it was on their teammate and they might not say which teammate, but they might look in the direction of the teammates locker, just stuff like that. And so you fast forward years and you look at this team and yeah, they all want their stats, but it's, it's different because like, say I wrote a story about this the other day, say Lattimore gets a pick. Well, then his teammate is sitting there thinking, all right, now I got to raise the bar. Like I want to get a pick for my team, you know? So it's, it's a different in a way where they're trying to elevate each other. So they push each other to be better and they'll go and joke with each other. Like, Hey, you dropped that pick or you didn't get that sack, but it's all in a really close, like comfortable way. Like you can tell they all really like each other. I mean, even take Kiko Alonso. He just got here and he's already sitting in the locker room, like playing super smash brothers with Craig Robertson. And I, I wouldn't be able to tell you who their problem child is in this locker room because I really do think they all really like each other and I talked to Demario Davis's mom the other day she said this is the happiest he's ever been in the NFL because they're all so close and I actually do believe that so I don't I don't know you know problem children crop up time to time but I don't see any yet Kat thanks for thanks for joining us my final question is what was the first place that you had to eat upon your return to New Orleans? Wow, I'm trying to remember where I went. Uh, well, I, I actually really like Clancy's, but I can't eat there often because, you know, money. Um, <laughs> but I'm trying to think, every time, when I lived in Cincinnati, every time I came back to New Orleans, I would always go to the same places. Like, Tracy's is one of my favorite bars, so I would always go there. Um, I would always go to Superior Grill. I know that's very random. Um, but, hmm, yeah, 
I don't know. I basically like love all New Orleans food, so I can't I can't remember, but it was nice to have dinner at Clancy's a few weeks ago. That makes me sound very pretentious. People I don't eat there very often. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's probably my favorite restaurant in New Orleans to splurge on, but probably just normal restaurant, Parkway. I do love Parkway. I miss Parkway. Yeah, Parkway is my pick. I mean, I always go there when I get back in town. Yeah, I, I did miss that. I missed actual good po'boys and people who knew what po'boys were. <laughs> well, they so had the I, guy. Live in, I live in Virginia, and they do. I mean, they do po'boys all over the country now, and it's it's remarkable and amazing how you, you, even going to Baton Rouge, like you you go you know sixty miles, seventy miles north, and you it doesn't taste the same. But I mean, imagine in Virginia trying to eat oh. a po'boys. I won't even order it. It's not. I saw. It's not even yeah. close. I saw on game day when they had a picture that John Goodman was tr- trending on Twitter, and they had a woman that said, I was worried with John Goodman Twitter that he, he had died, but I saw that he was just making pasta because he had a picture of him starring the jambalaya. <laughs> People were like, that is not pasta, woman. But um, Gosh. M- my, uh, my final you know, question – go go ahead, Kat. Oh, sorry. Go no. Ahead. Oh, I, I was, was going to say they actually did have a good New Orleans place in Cincinnati, a lady that – it's from New Orleans, ran it. So I'd go there sometimes if I actually wanted real New Orleans food. Uh, I think she might be opening a restaurant down here too. So well, there you um, go. So I got my fix very occasionally. Yeah, you do miss it. My final question, I know you're an LSU, LSU grad supporter. I Is see this the tweet. year? I, yeah. So, uh, oh, man. That's a tough question. <laughs> Everyone knows why, because I don't know if they can beat Alabama. I think I'm going to sucker myself into going there. I'm, I'm one and three, or one, four, three in Tuscaloosa, and I Ooh. always fall for it. But they might have the offense to beat them this year. Well, my question, my question and, then, and then we'll wrap it up, who wins more games, LSU or the Saints, in your mind? Oof. Well, they... <laughs> They play a different number of games, like percentage-wise. Well, no, I mean, but still, I mean, if 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 is LSU going to go eleven and one, and the Saints going to get to eleven mm-hmm. wins? Like, I would say, I would say, I'd still, I'd say the Saints are going to win more games, but I think it's going to be really close. Like, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a lock that that LSU would that the Saints are going to win more than you think. It's it's pretty clear the Saints are going to win more more than uh, mm-hmm. than LSU. Uh. No, I mean, I definitely think the Saints can win. I mean, if you look at them now, I definitely think they're capable of winning out 11 games. Uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a hard question. I just, I guess I just can't get past the Alabama LSU. <laughs> so it just, like, makes me, like, not want to even be hopeful yet until we get to that point. But, hey, it's a fantastic season for all Louisiana sports teams. It, it it's really awesome is. to see Tulane. I mean, Tulane is doing so well, and I think that's, awesome for their fans and LSU and the Saints actually went on the same weekend it, it's uh it's been great I I just hope it keeps up yeah <laughs> that's what I'll say so uh Cat Terrell thanks for joining us guys sign up at The Athletic it is amazing we're not just saying that because she was nice enough to come on our podcast it really is it's worth the money and the no ads on their site when you go to their site and it and it loads in like a like less than a second, it really is like a, a small, beautiful, life-changing thing, and I can't recommend yeah. it enough. Magical. Sign up for the athletic. 
Cat is worth it alone, the subscription. So, Cat Terrell, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you down the line. Thanks for having me. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When it comes to hiring, don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard, BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply.